Let's, uh, let's open up in prayer and then we will, we will get started this evening. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this day, for your many wonderful blessings in life. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand before your people and uh, open up your word. Uh, let us be a people who cherish it. I ask that your Holy Spirit would use it to refine us, to uh, mold us and shape us in such a way as that we would be a people who go out and share the truth that is found within the pages of this book, the truth about Christ. Lord, today of all days, uh, the day that we celebrate His resurrection and His victory over the grave, um, Lord, I pray that uh, that would sink in for us as we uh, continue studying uh, the book of Romans, as we continue exploring the gospel as you've laid it out through the writing of Paul here. Um, I just ask that it would uh, maybe show show it to us in a in a new light, um, revive us. Uh, reshape us, remold us, replant us in uh, the truth of your gospel so that we would uh, be effective for you, so that we would find ourselves standing on firm ground as concerning the gospel and the truth of Christ. Um, use me in whatever way possible. Seal my lips that I would speak nothing of my own. Um, Lord, um, I just thank you and I stand humbled here uh, this afternoon, uh, able to open your word and uh, read it. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would move among us. Um, it's in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I think, do they still need an... Uh, okay, so we're good. We don't need a helper in the in the nursery. We've got that. Um, I want us to open. Tonight should be fairly, uh, fairly short, straightforward message. We covered most of what we needed Last week, um, last week's message was fairly uh, long, even for me. It was about an hour and nineteen minutes from opening prayer to closing prayer. There was a lot of stuff in that one last week. Um, the primary thing that I hope that we got from last week, if if nothing else was gotten from last week, is that we understand this: that God has made Himself known to every human being who has ever walked this earth. And He's done that first through all that He's created. Whether it's our minds that He's placed in our head to be able to think thoughts in the first place, or whether it's the mountains that we look out at, or the valleys, or the, the vast oceans that we stare out into, or whether it's the stars that we look out into space. All of this God has created to give a testimony about who He is and His character. And that's what we read last week. And we're going to kind of start there reading with that, with that mind. And really the place that we're going to be new Scripture tonight will be verse 24. But I mentioned something last week in verse 18 where it speaks of the wrath of God being revealed. And I said that that's really kind of talking forward to something else that we're going to see this afternoon. So one thing that I want us to, to kind of hold on to as we start back in verse 18 is this idea that God's made Himself known and what this means to us is that no one is without or no one has an excuse when it comes before God. 
one thing that I mentioned last week, and, and that it's very true, even though it's difficult, I think sometimes for us to grasp and us to understand, is that there is no innocent person that will stand before God. This includes when we like when we typically think about. Um, you know, like the spread of the gospel, and we think these difficult thoughts, like, we'll, and we'll kind of imagine this hypothetical innocent person that lives somewhere over in the middle of Africa that's never heard of the gospel. And we say, well, what about that person? Right? And what I want to tell you is that that person does not exist. And this is what scripture is telling us is that God has made himself known in what is created so that no one will stand before him with an excuse. That I did not or could not know that you were. But what Scripture tells us instead is that we have rejected what we've seen. Right? We've rejected the truth about God. Instead, exchanging it for a lie. Right? So this is the idea. God has made Himself known. We've rejected knowledge of God. Instead, holding to a lie over the truth and the glory of God. And this is the state of the world apart from those whose minds and eyes have been opened to the gospel. And this is why the gospel is so important for us to go out and share. Because no one will stand before God innocent apart from being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Right? The gospel is the only hope that the world has. So that then should cause us to question. And, and as we dig through this book, ultimately it's where it's going is missional, right? Paul himself is writing to Rome because we're going to find at the end of this book that Paul is going to tell the Romans, hey, my plan is to come to you as I go to Spain, right? Paul wants to go where the gospel is yet to be preached because that heart that he has this heart that's been transformed by the gospel himself is the kind of heart that wants to tell others who have yet to hear about Christ, right? So that person that's over there in Africa or wherever that's never heard the gospel, you know, believer, you know that apart from the gospel, they are hopeless and helpless in their sins. And that should cause within us Something that yearns to go and tell. The problem is, is that it doesn't. Right? We find ourselves oftentimes unconcerned about those who will die today without the gospel. We oftentimes find ourselves more concerned and more worried about what we're going to do today or what we're going to do tomorrow for our own happiness and our own joy and our own pleasure. And we would oftentimes, unfortunately, trade the lives and souls and eternity of countless others that we potentially could have affected or we could have shared the gospel with or we could have mobilized others to go and share the gospel with. But instead, we trade all of those in because we too fail greatly even though we're being pushed forward to righteousness. So with all of this in mind, let's open up in verse 18 of chapter 1 and see what has happened to those who have rejected the truth about God, who by their very sinfulness um, have suppressed uh, their knowledge of Him. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed 
from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So the question here, how has the wrath of God been revealed? What is the result? If we were looking out at the world and we were going to say, what would it look like for the wrath of God to be revealed to a world or to a culture or to a people? What would that look like? What would you expect to see if you looked on a society and you said, yeah, that's a society in which God has revealed His wrath against its sinfulness. What would that look like? We'll, we'll find out here shortly. So, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Again, last week we spoke of that unrighteousness, especially the unrighteousness of men, is always working to suppress the truth. This is the truth about God. This is the truth about the gospel. This is the truth about what God has done and revealed through His creation. Sin wants to suppress truth. God, however, as we saw in Romans 16 and chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, the righteousness of God wants to reveal, so the sinfulness, on the other hand, wants to suppress. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. We talked about that in depth last week. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Now I want to ask you the question. I've already given you the answer, but I want you to say it so that you have to think about it. Who is without excuse? Who, who can stand before God and say, it's not my fault. Who can stand before God and say, I didn't have an opportunity to know that you were? Who can stand before God and say, I didn't know how great that you are? Or how powerful you are? Or how marvelous you are? Or how kind and generous you are? How wonderful. All of these attributes and character of God can be seen in what He's made. So no one in all life, no person who has ever lived has excuse. There's no one. What does that mean then? For although they knew God, this is verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what does sin do again? I want us to think about this. We're in, the, we're in this, this section of text here that is covering sin. The problem of sin. And I want, us to, I want us to get it in our minds so that we understand the problem fully. Or at least as fully maybe as we can grasp it with our human minds. What is the ultimate problem with sin? What's, oh, I mean, death comes from sin. Right? But what does sin try to do? Suppress the truth. 
Right? And we see this, and it words it in a couple of different ways. One, we see that unrighteousness suppresses truth. That's, that's in verse 18. Here we see in verse 23, we see exchange the glory. Right? So suppression of truth, an exchange of glory. Right? Now I want you to think about this. Who in their right mind would exchange something glorious for something less than glorious? Who does that? This is good. Did did y'all hear this? A blind and confused person. Right? Someone that we would consider or we would say they're not in the right mind. Right? Because if I came to you and I had like a truckload or say I had a wheelbarrow that I came in here and it was full of gold and you knew that it was gold. Right? And let's say for it was worth like a hundred million dollars. And I roll it in here. And I'm like, it's yours. Right? How many of you would be foolish enough not to take it? How many of you would instead say, well, I'll just, I'll just be poor? And then say I'm making a genuine offer. I roll in gold and I'm like, Kip, this is yours. You just take this gold and go. Who, who, who here lets the gold stand and walks away from it? Well, you would say that's foolish. Right? Why we say there's clearly value there? We wouldn't walk away from it. But I want you to see this. That sin does such a work at blinding us that it would cause us to exchange the glory of the immortal God. For what? For what? Look at this. Exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. What does it exchange glory for? What is this? This is idols, right? This is idols. Something that they could see, right? They're maybe not, they're not blinded to this, apparently. Or, Sin does such an effect, it corrupts the mind and the heart in such a way that it would cause you not to desire glorious things, but instead to desire things less than glorious. Why? We do it all the time. But why? What is the root of this? What causes this? Our sinful nature, yes. Ultimately, why would there be suppression? Why would one idol? Right? One idol. If I were to bring something in here that you were to see as being an idol, why would someone worship an idol? I, they don't want to know the truth, right? They don't want to look upon the truth. We'd rather worship an idol because an idol we know we're not held accountable to it. We worship an idol because as we worship idols, we truly worship ourselves. Because idol worship is self-worship. Right? I created that thing. And I am worthy of worship. Right? So we suppress the truth about the Creator. And we'll say it was chance. Given enough time. Because we don't 
give account to ourselves when we worship ourselves. But if there is a God that is worthy of worship, then this is a God who we must give account of our lives to. So we would turn from that glory. Because that glory we look upon and find in ourselves our guilt and our shame. Not when we look at idols. So we can look at what we make and take pleasure and joy in what we make or what we do. Because we're not held accountable by that thing that we can create. And that we can shape and that we can form. For our own desires and our own purposes. Right? And this is what sin has caused. We desire self-worship. Look at me. Look at what I can do. And what happens is that we will find is that ourselves, we cannot bear the weight of what worship is. We're going to find as we continue through the book of Romans that worship is something very much deeper than just the singing of songs. It's the singing of songs. This is one way in which worship manifests itself, but it is something much deeper and only God Himself is worthy of worship and only God Himself can bear the weight of that worship. Every other idolist thing will be crushed by the weight of worship. And this is why we find like when we look at the book of Ecclesiastes and we find these lives that we live where we're constantly trying to put our worship into other lesser things that they fail to uphold to that. Right? So what has happened to humanity? That's the question here. We're dealing with idolatry in its ultimate sense. The fallenness of mankind. The exchanging of the glory of the immortal God verse 23, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, and this is where we're looking for verse 18, bridging over to 24. So 18 says, for the wrath of God is revealed. And I want to show you, I want to let you in on what it looks like for God's wrath to be revealed. Right? Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Some will translate abandoned. Right? What does that mean? What does that mean? I want you to think about that. Does anybody else just read it slightly different maybe? Mine says, gave them up. Does any, I know uh, the other translation that I use says abandoned. Is there any other kind of different reading of that? In verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Do we have any others? God gave them over. Yeah, so giving up, turning over or giving over someone. Man, alive. What if God gave you what you wanted if it wasn't Him? What would that look like? What would the extent of that be? I want you to know that it would be hopeless. That your sin and your sinfulness, if turned over to it, would take you so far away from where you ever thought or imagined or hoped 
yourself to be. And this is what the Bible says God has done to the sinful world. Do you see that? That God gave them up. Turned them over. In the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Again, we see this idea, suppression of truth, exchanging of glory, suppression of truth, exchanging of glory for a lie. And God turning over you and giving you exactly what you want in the depths of this is what? Let's read what it looks like. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To what? To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passions one for another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. What is this? When he's talking about the ultimate depths of what it looks like for people to be given over, what is it? What is it? It's homosexuality. This is why last week I wanted your hearts to be broken before we get here. I wanted you to realize that God has awakened your eyes and your hearts and your minds to see clearly His truth in all that He has done. Because the world in which you live is abandoned to itself. Is that not clear to you? Is it not clear in the society in which we live in? And I don't want you picking up your stones. I want you picking up your Bibles. I don't want you casting judgment. Because once too were you. Once too you were blinded to the truth of the Gospel. This should cause us to be broken and enraged. Broken over the sinfulness of the world and enraged by our inability to desire to do anything about it. So we would rather be cowards. It's true. They are blind and abandoned to sin, and the only hope that they have is the Gospel. And will we preach it to them? Will we deliver it to them as it's been delivered to us? 
You believe why? Why do you believe the truth of this book? I want to tell you, you believe because someone was bold enough to preach the gospel to you and you believe. What has become of us if we were a church of cowards who were afraid to say anything of truth outside of these doors? Let me tell you what's going to happen. We will find our seats emptier and emptier as the world convinces them of a lie. Because the truth is hard to tell. Because it sounds countercultural. And I want to tell you that that's true. And the message that Christ preached was countercultural, so much so that he was nailed to a cross for it. The problem of sin is real. And if we don't preach the truth of God's Word, it only gets worse and worse. I see many of you who you would raise your hands and say, never in my lifetime would I have imagined this. Right? So what you have seen and what you have bore witness to is that whatever gospel is being preached wide scale in America has failed miserably. Church, it's because in all likelihood the gospel that's been preached in America this comfortable it costs you nothing you have to exchange nothing there's no pressure or burden as a matter of fact if you come take this gospel everything's going to be good for you if you read this gospel and examine this book you're going to be wealthy and healthy and you're going to have everything you want this is the gospel that's been going out This is the gospel that's now going out to other nations as well. This is the gospel that's failed for us. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Because what we find ourselves in as a culture is not a culture being changed by the gospel, but a church being changed by a culture. God forbid... Because that's abandonment. And let me tell you, God does not abandon His church. They exchanged the truth of God. They exchanged the glory of God. And the problem is that God gave them exactly what they wanted. Let us keep that in mind as we pray and we seek. Because if the things that we seek and the things that we pray for are not the things of God, woe unto us if He gives them to us. Because this 
is what it looks like. Verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. I want you to look at this. This is not once, this is not twice, but now three times that this language has been used by God through Paul in the opening chapter of this book. Once in verse 24, God gave them up in the lust. Once in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Now again, in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind, to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I'm going to read this list again. Okay? I'm going to read this list again. Because as we dig into this, and as we start pressing further and further on in the Gospel, I want us to understand what it is that we are up against. And I want you to know that this is not for the weak of heart. Right? The task before us is no easy task. And Christ tells us throughout the Gospels that we are to count the cost before we go off building. Lest we get out and we realize that we don't have enough to finish. Right? What I want to tell you as we start digging through this Gospel is where we're going is that you all become preachers in this world that needs preached to. Right? I want all of you to know the Gospel and know the God of the Gospel so well that you are bold in preaching it. Where you may lose your lives or your jobs. Or people may speak evil of you. Or people may hate you or spit on you. Because that's the Gospel that within another generation could change us. One generation, I want Y'all see this, right? One generation, it's gone from where you'd say I'd have never seen it there to where we are today. And I would say that this is because a weak gospel has been presented. And it's thinned us out. That's not always a bad thing. I've been here for I don't know how long. And I've seen year after year and attempted revival after attempted revival. And I've prayed my, myself oftentimes that God would revive us, revive us, revive us, that God would move, right? That God would move. That's still my prayer today. That God would revive us. He would make us into something. Fearless. Because what we're up against is frightening. 
It's frightening. And I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Because you're not going to do what the Gospel commands for us to do on your own. You can't. It's too great a task. Too scary for you. But the truth of the Gospel, the truth of the true Gospel is such that men will die for this truth. That when the going gets tough and the Gospel has latched into your life, that you will stand and die. You will not be afraid of what others say about you or think about you. That you will have a heart broken for the lost because you know that they are blind and you see. Because you've been given sight. Not just for the sake of you having sight, but so that you could go out. And lead others to Christ. It would probably scare me to get a true idea of who regularly shares the gospel in their workplaces or in their homes. Or when the going gets tough, in particular trials or tribulations in your lives and your family, who you bend or break. Versus standing for the gospel. It would probably be frightening. And I say it would probably be frightening because we're low in number and you are the faithful ones that will, that knowing that it will likely run long when Landon's preaching, still come. We need something more than empty hopes of more money. Because this is what we're up against. Let's read verse 28 through again. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They are ruthless, church. And you're being sent out by the gospel as sheep unto wolves. Do you see this? But oh, what a shepherd that we follow. Verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We're going to end on this verse tonight. I want us to think about this for a second. Here's the truth that God's word presents to us. That the sinner knows themselves to be a sinner. You see this? Let's read this again. Though they know God's righteous decree, 
I want you to get that we're not talking about the Jews yet. Right? That's going to come next week when we step into chapter 2. Paul's addressing Gentiles and their sinfulness, and then he addresses Jews, those who know the law, and their sinfulness. So he's not here saying that the Jews know the law and they know they sin. He's saying those who have not been given the law, the Gentiles here, know this truth. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. Does that deter them? Does it? Does their knowledge of their sinfulness cause them to stop sinning? Could it ever? No. Your knowledge of your sin cannot change you from being a sinner. Do you get that? That it is not knowing more about it, feeling more guilty over it, that's going to drive you to a place to where you change. Do you get that? That knowledge of your sinfulness cannot cure you from your sinfulness. Because you, they, do not care. Do you get that? That the sinner loves sin. You yourselves... We're once such, right? And I dare to say that some of you likely struggle today still with. So knowledge of sin or the depths of your sin will not change you. There is no hope there. Because what we find is that the sinner loves sin. So telling them of their sinfulness, which they already know, does not change their hearts. What changes the heart? You better be preaching the Gospel. The Holy Spirit better be moving in lives. Because you telling someone that they're a sinner does not change them. Your casting stones does not change them. It doesn't. They know it. They love it. You don't sin because you hate it. You sin because it pleases you to sin. Your sin is very much willful. You don't slip off and accidentally do it. They sin because they love to sin. And they're blind by their sin. So much so. Look at this. So much so. Verse 32. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Do you see this? Not only do you love to sin, but you love to be around those who sin. And you approve of their sin. 
as if somehow you look better because someone else sins more than you. Is there hope? Is there hope? We've already said there's no hope of changing the heart because they know more about their sin. Is there hope then that you will be changed or that you will find mercy because everybody else is a sinner? Is there any hope that you get there and God grades on a curve? No. No. There's not. When our minds, our foolish minds, our foolish hearts, we think this way. So we sin and we love to sin. And we know God's righteous decree that I deserve to die over my sin, for my sin, because of my sin. I'm going to carry others with me so that when I get there, my foolish thinking says there's strength in numbers. And what you'll find is that there is no strength or hope at all there. Church, this is the world in which we face. All of us were once there, blinded to it. And the only reason we are not there today is because the Gospel was preached and the Holy Spirit changed us. We were born again. There's only hope in the Gospel. We're going to end here tonight. We're going to pick up next week. Uh, We'll be looking at the other side of the coin. We'll be looking at those who are uh, knowledgeable of the law next week. Um, let's, Let's close in prayer. We'll do music after that. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the truth of Your Word. Um... As we dig into the Gospel in this opening chapter of Romans and Paul starts digging into sin and the problem of sin and and how it's taken hold in this world, Lord, I pray that You would give us an understanding of just how deep the roots run. Lord, that You would show us that the only hope against this is the Gospel of Your Son and that You would... Uh, Reveal to us the truth of the gospel in such a way as it would make us bold. um, That we would, in love, go out sharing this gospel knowing that they don't want to hear it. Knowing that they love sin. Because once too, we loved our sin. And oftentimes, if we were honest with ourselves, we we would admit that uh, we still oftentimes shamefully enjoy sin, Lord. I pray that you would continue working in each of our lives. And in the meantime, that you would send us out so that your gospel could be spread where no one has heard it. Or maybe where they've heard it and it's not taken root. In our workplaces, in our homes, in our families. Lord, that you would Empower us through the truth of Your Word for Your glory so that we would make Your name great. Lord, move among us because if You don't move, we will not be moved. It's in Christ's name for His glory. Amen.